Welcome to this week's Fighting Words. This is Donovan here. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I am joined today with special guest Timothy Dirksen. Hi, Timothy. Hello. And I just asked him if he goes by Timothy or Tim, and he said either works. So we'll see. The friendlier this podcast gets, I'll, I'm going to start with Timothy. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. If you're still Timothy by the end of the podcast, this has not been, this has not been helpful. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, before we do, I want to talk a little bit about why we call the podcast Fighting Words. Uh, well, number one, the church's mission is to fight for joy, and you know it's just kind of playing off that term. But uh, th- so this, to me, this is one of those tools where we can seek understanding and and grow and learn together, and hopefully grow in our love for the world and love for God and love for one another. Um, but also, I like I kind of like the idea of uh, uh, just kicking around ideas that we may not always see a hundred percent eye to eye on and and fight it out, but fight it out with joy and love and. Uh, so hopefully we can model that. Uh, Timothy and I today are going to talk about uh, different issues regarding, uh, I don't even know what the main topic would be, other than, uh, oh, let's call it, uh, let's talk about privilege and white privilege and male privilege and all that stuff. All right. All right? Yeah. And so well, maybe we'll, well, something like that. And uh, I'll tell you uh, a little bit about, uh, a little more direction about where we're headed with this. And uh, But as a little bit of background, just to get to know Timothy a little bit here. Uh, you are, uh, are you a, a member of Redeemer? No, I'm okay. not. Okay, but you've been no. around, you've been consistent, we just yes. haven't done a, a class that you've been able to attend, but yeah. you're here, you serve in the band, you got mm-hmm. community here, you mem- you, are you part of a group? Yeah, yeah, one of the fire groups here. Okay, yeah. so you're, you're involved in the community, so. and you're a UNI student? Yes, yeah, I'm a junior at UNI. Junior, all right, yes. and studying biochem. Yep. So. Yep, and I was talking to him. His uh, his goal is uh, to make uh, WMDs, weapons of mass destruction, <laughs> right? No, no not so, not quite. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that's what you said. Most people aren't that forward with that. Uh, you're not quite sure what you're going to. He's a biochem ma- major. Not sure quite what you're going to do with that. But no, we like to go more like chemical research. Okay. So yeah, probably end up saving the world or something like that. Maybe. So you're you and I, and you came from. Let me see if I can remember. You said the town was Woden. Yes. How do you spell that? W-O-D-E-N. Just the way it sounds. Yep. 200 people, you said, if you count cats and dogs. Pretty much, yep. Wow. That's my worst nightmare. I drive around towns like that. You don't want to run out of gas there. It's woes. Um, so this does it seem like the big town for you? Oh, it's pretty decent. You're probably town. acclimated. Yes, yep. Have you been to like big cities? Like you've been to Chicago or? Um, I've not been to Chicago. I've been to, I've driven around Des Moines and like Minneapolis. Oh, Paul, Minneapolis is so. big. That's a good size city. Dude, that's a great place to go eat. It's one of the most international cities in in the U.S., and I'm all about international food. And whenever my wife and I go to a big city like that, I literally just bust out Google and I look up Malaysian food, Indonesian food. I try to find something we've we've never had, and uh, Minneapolis is really really great for that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's good. So you're from Woden, came to UNI. Have you been at UNI since your freshman year? No, actually, I, I've just been here since the spring semester. Oh, okay. Where were you before that? Um, I went to community college over Mason City um, right after high school, um, and then I worked full time two and a half years before coming back. Oh, okay. How college. old are you? I am twenty three. Okay. What did you do for work? Um, I worked at an auction house. Or auction company, I guess. Well, that's country. I mean, you're a country boy. You grew up on a farm. Yeah. You did farming. Like, do you do the auctioning? Uh, no, I did everything but the auction. Oh, because I was going to have you spit for us, man. Can you do that stuff? No, I cannot. <laughs> I, I, I do not talk that fast. Okay. So. Have you ever seen where they put the uh, they put those guys auctioneering over like hip hop beats? I have. Yes. <laughs> that's really good stuff, yes. man. Those guys. Yeah. Are- the the guy I worked for, his auctioneering style was almost slightly singing. As what as it was, because his his auction chant was kind of rhythmic and how it worked versus just uh, yeah. So did you get to a point where you literally could understand what they're saying? You oh, know, they're actually oh, saying I've, stuff. Yeah, right? no, like, yeah, I've I've calling out bids and yeah, no, I, I've always understood what they say for the most part. Yeah, but well, just for kicks, because some people may not have heard this. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> see if I can't find a little sample of uh. Uh, auctioneering. I don't know what you would call it. Yeah, I don't know. I I know I've seen it, but I yeah, I don't know what it'd be labeled underneath. Auctioneering. Let's go hip hop. Let's see. 
Auctioneers rap fire to beats. That's it. <laughs> Let's see if this works. That's good, man. Okay, it's like a seven-minute-long video. We don't. We just want to give you a little taste there. Wow. Okay. So, country boy in the city. Um, what made you want to come to you and I? Um, I really like the smaller class sizes, um, and also kind of more of its home sort of feel. So, like, it's there's two. There's about ten thousand students at you and I. It's but, big, but you can about cross campus, and you will probably meet at least two or three people that you know. Yeah. Which statistically should not be possible. Yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> Everyone's just crammed together. Is that what it is? To a certain degree, I don't know. I just it's weird, but you'll, yeah, you'll usually find at least someone that you know just walking across campus. Yeah, that's good. So uh, you so you're you're taking classes, biochem, and are you involved in other? Well, you are. I know you are. Well, tell tell us some of the other things you're involved with in student life. Um, so I am a student senator um, for with student government. Okay. Um. I'm also a, a part of Navigators, and then on um, the America, American Chemical Society. So. Okay. What do you, do? You, uh, do you have a leadership role at Navigators, or just participant? Just participant. Okay. Yeah. Um, and American Chemist Society. American Chemical Society. So. It's, okay, that sounds like a blast. What are you guys doing there? Um, Get it? A blast? <laughs> I didn't mean that. <laughs> um. So sometimes we'll. Oh. Every week around Fridays, we'll have like a uh, board game and whatnot. Um, it's what we call the ACST time. Um, but a lot of times we'll have speakers coming on Thursdays about presenting about different topics. Chemical uh, topics? Yes. Um, we did the Halloween house, which is where uh, the whole science building, we have different demonstrations that will deal with science. Like um, the room we were in dealt with dry ice and liquid nitrogen and stuff. So like shrinking balloons and stuff. Yeah. It's like Bill Nye science guy type stuff. Yes. Yeah. That's cool, man. So. Stuff's fascinating. Um Yeah, so the ACS and okay, well so that keeps you pretty busy. Yes. Yeah, it does. Okay, what about uh briefly, um Christian background. What what did that look like for you growing up? Um, I guess we were raised in sort of an independent Baptist church. Um, like fundamentalist type? No, not not really. Because sometimes, I don't know if you just mean, there's a brand out there, it's the yeah. IFL, indep- independent yeah. fundamentalist. Yeah, no, no, it's meant... Or IFB or something like basically that. Basically independent because we were associated with... Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah. And uh, and you grew up in that, and yes. um, you when did you become a Christian? Um, I'm assuming you are one. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Um I'd say about 12 years old. Okay. Um, yes. And um, did you, have you kind of stayed the course? You know, some some guys, you know, they hit 17, 18, 20, and they're like, screw this, I'm out of here. I got to go, um, you know, play with some chemicals. No, um, I guess kind of at age eight, I sort of somewhat came to the knowledge of what it meant to be a Christian, but I didn't really at least in my own mind, really come to kind of saving grace of it until I was about 12. Okay. Um, but then since then, from 12 on, you've like you've stayed the course, walking with Jesus. You didn't go through like some rebellious stage no. at 18 where you were like going to go do crack and no. stuff like that? No. Okay. No. So it's been, a, it's been pretty steady. It has. Okay. So then you come to uh, uh, Cedar Falls and you... Uh, Looking for a church. You landed at Redeemer. Yes. Why? Um, well, I guess um, I, um, growing up, I was, I'm friends with Joy Miller. Um, okay. Who comes here. Um, so this is the first church I checked out. Is she from Woden? No, she's over by Forest City area. Okay. Um, but we were part of a homeschool group. Oh, you were homeschooled? Yes. Okay. So, um, so I checked out here because she goes here. Um, I really liked it, but I did check out a few others. Yeah, um, that's understandable. And then I kind of settled in here because it just, there's a very big, strong community. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really like. Good. 
So. What was your initial response to it being a video campus? Mostly. I mean, we have some live preaching, but the majority is video. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've, in my opinion, they, it's done well. Like, there's some places that are like, it's just the video, and it just seems a little odd. But, like, like the worship is video. The oh. Whole, everything is. And okay. Just like, so you've seen that. Yes. Interesting. You're, you're kind of like, I could just be at home. That was probably a small town thing. Um, actually, no, that was, we went and visited uh, one of my mom's um, siblings at okay. one of their church. It was like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you say it's done well. Yeah. And it's the, um, you know, it's not the only thing going on Sunday mm-hmm. mornings. We have a community here. We have people doing yep. greeting and praying and communion and music and, yep. you know, and so, and the way I, I feel like I know what the phrase I always use is it's not live, but it's alive. Like once it's playing, like you're there, you're, you get mm-hmm. in the moment, you know, it, yep. you feel like you kind of forget you're watching video and you're just hearing the, the content. And, um, so, okay, good. I was just like to hear when you came, did you know that? Um, I wasn't quite aware of that. No. Okay. No. So maybe a little bit of a surprise and yeah, somewhat, but. And you play in the band. I do. And you play, uh, hold on, let's see if I remember, because I know I've seen you. You don't play banjo. Yes, I do. You do. You're the banjo guy? There's a couple banjo guys there's, in, right? There's two banjo people. Okay, that's what it is. So Elliot also plays yep. banjo. Okay. Is that all you play? Uh, no, I also play the dobro. Oh, so you're like uh, one of those non-traditional and instrument then, guys. And then I also play some guitar, but I don't play that in the band. Okay. So, uh, Describe the dobro. Um, well... Its technical term is a resophonic guitar. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, but the Dobro is a brand name, and it's a lot easier to say. How do you spell that? Uh, D-O-B-R-O. All right, we're going to look that up also. We're going to get a little sampling here. How, how did you get into that? Um, growing up, um, I was part of a bluegrass band. So, um, so do you know Jerry Douglas? Yes. This is world-renowned dobro player Jerry Douglas. Yes. Yeah, he plays a little more jazz style. Okay, but so. open YouTube. Oh, Opening. there's YouTube. an ad. Oh, cool. Here we Welcome go. back, everybody. So excited to yeah, have him here this morning. Here. Let's see what you got here. It's almost banjo-y slash steel guitar or something. Yeah, like. it's it's kind of like the predecessor to a steel guitar. Yeah. And would you say the, the official name of the instrument is? Uh, resophonic guitar. What's resophonic mean? Um, because it resonates. <gasps> yeah. Well, well, what guitar doesn't? Well, but the way it's designed, the it has like a cone in it, okay. so it operates like a speaker. Oh. Versus just the body of the just guitar. Just the body. Yeah. Okay. Cool. This guy's world-renowned. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. Well, I appreciate you uh, serving in that way and being in the band. I, I love music uh, and especially corporate worship. It, just, it has been such a, a help to my heart over the last 10 years. And so really thank you guys for putting the time and, and energy into that. Um, okay. So there's a little introductory stuff there. Yeah. Uh, so the, the reason... Uh, so you're involved in student government. Yes, I am. And you are a, a senator. How many senators are there? Um, currently, we have about 21. Okay. So, And that doesn't include the upper cabinet or the board directors. Okay. So, so that means you're involved in student affairs in different ways, current, current issues, current controversies, and things like that. Yes. So the reason I brought you on is... Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I follow social media. I see some of your stuff. You know, I, I saw you, you had posted something about... You and I is not an ally, yes. and I had no context for that. I don't know what that was. Yep. And uh, but I but I'm familiar with the term ally. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like okay. And uh, and then I had posted something on Facebook about and I'll and we, we get back and discuss it specifically, but something about male privilege and all this and that. And you chimed in and there was some back and forth there, and I was like, okay, here's a guy who's a, at, at at a campus, um, and in the for lack of a better term, I would say traffics in that language. Uh, privilege, microaggressions, social justice, all that stuff, which uh, to me is interesting because uh, very often uh, what I see online and and hear online, I listen to a lot of podcasts and things like that, is 
this is an oversimplification, but you kind of have like this, the divided world of like, uh, on the right, you have conservatives, conservative values, and let's just, um, you know, uh, every man for himself and capitalism and, you know, everyone has an equal opportunity to get ahead and, you know, that's a simplification. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then on the left, you kind of have, you know, it can go extreme and it's like, man, everyone, you know, all white people are racist and, <laughs> you know, and we got to fight microaggressions and male privilege and cis privilege and all this stuff. And they just like, just harp at each other and misunderstand each other, I think a lot of times. And so to me, here's what's interesting. You got a young guy who is at a conservative church. This is I mean, we may be hip, you know, but we're preaching old school Bible here, man. Like, and uh, you know, God exists, male and female exists, uh, and so we'll, we'll talk about some of that stuff. Maybe I'm assuming some of the things you believe, but I'm assuming there has to be a, a fairly strong conservative streak in you for you to tolerate Redeemer, right? And yet, you're also at a campus and engaging in conversations and using language that a lot of people would affiliate with the left. Right, the progressives, and so mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, we, let's talk about this, and what does that look like? So, maybe to start with, would you share a little bit of the you and I is not an ally, and I'm sure you could probably go on for 40 minutes, but try to give me the little little short um, summation of what is the context of that, and what is current uh, circumstances at you and I, and and uh, your involvement or perspective on that. Yes. Um. So a quick summary of it. Um. It is a group of students of color who are coming to speak out against the univer- the up the senior leadership's um, handling of how they treat their students of color. Um, there's been a lot of different things. It started. Um, if you're able to actually read their um, press release, it's a. Really I actually good, read through that. Yes. Um, uh, and it, some of it was triggered by this Walk of Flame. Is that who it was? Yes, the Walk of Flame concert. And he was he was invited to come perform, and then that yes. got canceled. And do you well, want, do you think that's relevant? You want to share about yes. that? Yes. Um, it started out he he was coming to sing, um, and but due to things the university said happened, or what they said the police was um, giving, they canceled the outside sales tickets so only the students could buy tickets and um, moved it from the from Mocker Union to a building uh, it's way on the corner of campus that no one knows about um, and then also wanted to really increase the security for it because they were afraid of gang violence um, it turned out that a lot of their reasonings they, the senior leadership used was falsified that the like the Waterloo Police Department had not issued any statement whatsoever, um, and it really rubbed the students color wrong because um, the campus activity board that put on the show um, for the previous year they had asked for increased security for a white uh, male rapper, and the leadership's like, no, you don't need it, even though they specifically requested it. And so when you had the same sort of... Who was of, that rapper? I'm not for certain. Right. I wasn't here. Um, but th- but they had wanted extra security for that, and they're like, no, you don't need it. It's okay. Um, and when you had someone that was basically similar except the fact that he was black um, and a huge different change of how they treated the situation, um, it really rubbed people a bad way. Do you think there's a perception that the university... Th- a perception among the students of color that the university was concerned that that and I is Waka Flaka flame, excuse me. I call him Waka Waka. Yeah. That's like some old Muppet stuff. Um that uh he was gonna attract uh, a demographic from outside of the university. Yes, maybe from from, from the Waterloo area. From the Waterloo yes. area and things were gonna get out of hand and and the yes. students interpret that as uh obvious some kind of some kind of a perceived injustice or racism or and discrimination or whatever term you want to use on that that's that that's how they perceive yes. that yes because they had a rapper the previous year that was basically the same sort of contacts or whatever and they weren't worried about it at all okay so now that's one event yes uh i'm sure there's a, a string of things but this seems to have been a pretty uh critical event that has yes and has, that kind of snowballed the whole thing 
because of that, then the students color reached out to the leadership and said, hey, let's change some stuff so it doesn't happen again because we don't want this to happen again. It wasn't good for the university's PR at all um, and kind of the relationship with the Waterloo community. Um, so they put forth this, these few agendas that like that the student leader, that the leadership is like, yeah, we can do this by the time you come back on fall in fall. And when students came back in fall, they ha- hadn't done any of it. They had taken no action. The things yes. they had promised to do and was just communicates more disregard. Yes. That they didn't really care for what they had to say. Okay. So what, what do you think is the, uh, um, what has been the response from the university? Like, uh, if they say, "Hey, we understand why you would see things that way, but here's what, here's what you need to see." What's what's their response to this? Not really anything. Um, they've been really silent for the most part. Um, they did try because NISG went and put forth a resolution that's kind of condemned and said, "Hey, you said you were supposed to do this. You didn't do what you had said." Even though after the fall break, come back in fall, they gave them another month to do it. And still nothing got done. And the um, senior leadership went and told NISG to revoke. What's NSG again? Uh, Northern Iowa Student Government. NISG, okay. Yep. Um, to revoke their resolution. And we said, no, because you didn't do any of what you said. And due to that, it kind of brought up a lot of tension. Um, that's when they started the UNI is not ally movement on November 1st. Um, and with that, so after that sort of um, talk to NISG to re- rescind the resolution, um, there hasn't been really anything from... So where's this headed? Um, I honestly don't know yet. Gonna take it to the streets, man. <laughs> it's... it's um, because even the faculty senate went and put forth a resolution in support of um, the. So this is just high level leadership. This is, I mean, even the faculties. This, this is the very high. This um, the man, the president, the vice president, um, director of athletic <clears throat> affairs. And let me just uh, throw out a disclaimer. I have no idea what's really happening over there, and this is Timothy Dirksen's perspective, which I'm sure is genuine and from his heart. But uh, I don't want to be slandering. Um, no. Yeah. Um, and in the the student bo- the government the student government seems pretty unified on this or is there a division there are they you know like no no um actually the both resolutions resolution in the first place and the resolution that we would not resend our previous one um, passed unanimously okay so so there's that issue and as I was reading about this it seems like you know this is like I said one one incident uh, but mm-hmm. as I was reading there's uh, you know a, a litany of Grievances, concerns that uh, students of color perceive, uh, again, depends on what language you, you can strong racism or discriminatory uh, uh, behaviors or microaggressions. And, you know, this this isn't the only event. No. Uh, what are some of the other maybe grievances that, that are being brought to light? Um, a lot of the different ways when, when students of color have came to... Um, upper leadership about different things they want changed they just kind of brush off and like oh yeah we'll do that and never nothing ever happens um, what's kind of sad about it is that um, about four to, was it 2014 I think there was a sort of the same situation that happened um, that the students of color kind of went and um we're not happy with the senior leadership. Yeah, and nothing really happened then. Do you have another? Do you have an example of maybe one of those things that you know one of the? Hey, here's what we'd like to see changed. What is the grievance um, in particular? So, uh, with the racial and ethnic coalition or RAC as it's called, um, well, there's a lot of orgs here to keep track of. Yes, this is exhausting. Yes, the well, the racial <laughs> ethnic coalition is the ones that started the United Not Ally movement because the United Ally is, is that comprised of students of color and white. Um, mostly students of color, but they are you allowed to be on there if you're a yes white male yes. cisgendered yes okay cool they're yes. inclusive yes all right um and a, a lot of them were more of 
at least the short-term goals that they had put forth that they were supposed to complete over the um, sp- summer break was kind of introduce the places for students of color on campus, which there's a CME, which is the um, Center for of Education and Multicultural Students, up on top of Mocker Union. And a lot of the intro the people that do tour guides really skip over it or just say, oh, there's that place up there where you can study for at hours because it's open like from 11 to 7 during finals. Um, so over midnight. And that's about so feeling it. overlooked, yep. disregarded, not yes. not placed in a yes, and, and and try to try to reach out so that people are aware of this and that so that there's better feelings among between the senior leadership and the students of color. Yeah. Okay. Well, again, I'm not there. I don't know all these specific instances, but I'm not ignorant. I think my general approach to these kind of things is uh, sin has entered this world, and it gets freaking messy and so oh, yes. dominant cultures are going to be at best uh you know uh unaware and just kind of dismissive and mm-hmm. you know focusing on your own stuff that makes sense you know like yes. um and or at worst conniving to oppress and like mm-hmm. there's going to be a spectrum there and minority cultures are going to be uh they're going to be victims of that and i would also add you know because of their sin also we'll see things where there aren't things and that happens too and i don't know where these things happen but i think um the way i say it is you can't uh, it's not healthy if you see racism everywhere it's also not healthy if you see it nowhere you know like you especially as a christian uh Mm -hmm. if you believe that sin has entered the world sin corrupts people and um and when people get together and build societies and systems that sin is present mm-hmm. and uh it's going to affect all kinds of things it's going to affect how we treat those who are like us it's going to affect how we treat those who are not like us and so sin is present therefore racism and uh oppression is present to different degrees and uh i think it's naive to say it's not uh case by case i'm not again i don't i'm not here to make judgment on those cases i just thought it'd be helpful for you to share some of what those grievances are and, and what's mm-hmm. happening there. Um, l- let me ask you this. Uh, would you describe yourself as woke? Um, see, most time when that term is used anymore, it's a very derogative yeah, term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think as a Christian, we should all be aimed to be aware of things that affect um, other people around us. I mean, it's like the Good Samaritan. All other people just pass by him. We don't want to be that person who's like, oh, there's a guy lying on the road. No, eh, that's okay. And just pass him by when this person needs our help. Okay. Good. I like that. That's what I would... So, yeah, it depends on what people mean by that term. But, yeah, the, the, a Christian should be aware. And not only that, if, if you have the Spirit of God and you've been enlightened, then you literally have been awakened. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, that so I, I mentioned earlier that we had, had been uh, we at my group last night we had a discussion on uh, privilege in general, but my, male privilege, white privilege, specifically. And uh, what's interesting is you know you actually can see these categories in the Bible in different, not exactly the same language, but when God calls um, the nation of Israel out for their sins of not caring for widows, orphans, and the, the fatherless and the sojourners. He's speaking to those who have power, mm-hmm. privilege, you know, so it depends what you mean by those languages, right? That they, they, They're in positions of power, a, a position to help. Yes. Right? And in yep. that context, it's generally, it's interesting if you look at what's the common denominator of, among widow, orphans, and fatherless, uh, and the sojourners are a little different. Um. But at least widows and orphans, it's they're fatherless. There's they're not under the protection of men, right? They their their husband is dead, mm-hmm. or their father's dead, and that man holds a position generally a holds a, a higher position of of power and influence in the society to be able to provide. Now it's a little, it's different then. We can talk about what that looks like now, um, but I think there's a lot of similarity, um, and therefore when these when this when this woman ends up uh, without a husband or the kids end up without a father they are they are um vulnerable 
right? Mm-hmm. And then God looks to those in power, who are a group of men usually, and says, you need to use your power and influence and the collective resources of the nation to help them, right? There's being yes. woke in Old Testament Israel. Yes. Like, are you aware of how certain people's position in society can make them more vulnerable than others, and are you aware that some people are in a position to help? I think that's very clearly biblical. Yes. Now, how does that translate to today? That's where it starts getting hairy, and uh, but I don't think those those uh, dynamics are gone. Power no. dynamics are not gone. No, they're not by any means. Um, yeah, we haven't moved. You know, we're not in a perfect world, and so the question is, how are those power dynamics playing out today? And um, and then how are people talking about that in ways that are helpful and unhelpful? And um, so, <laughs> did you when you came to you and I? It was this. Uh, you know, again, you say you, you're kind of wary of that term woke, but in terms of, you know, being alert to uh, the struggles of justice and power dynamics and all that, when did, when do you think that happened to you and what did that look like and what are some key, well, let me, let me go just one question at a time. When did you feel like you started growing in your understanding of that? Um, I guess I would say like putting the actual words behind what I did or how I acted, probably not entirely until I came to you and I, um, but definitely I, I went and, um, oh, when I was 15 or so, me and my older brother, we went and helped with uh, CEF, which is Child Evangelism Fellowship, um, and they do what's called five-day clubs. Um, which is where you go out in the community and you hold a week-long kind of VBS. Um, And a lot of the places where we did it, um, one I helped at was kind of more in the East Park area of Mason City. And very much of a lower-income minority area. And just kind of seeing the different things that they had to deal with and then talking to the kids and the adults in the community while doing it and just seeing the different things that you you don't notice. Like it's it's very easy to um if you don't personally deal with it for on a day to day basis that you just you don't you're not aware of what's going on. Right. Because you have the privilege of not Yeah, you you have the privilege of not having to care about yeah. that. Well, and so maybe I'll, I'll throw this out. So the the article I shared with my group that we discussed, and I, and I can send this out um, as a weekly resource or something, I don't know. Um, it was written by a feminist, and it was said, what is privilege? What what does it mean? What don't we mean? And I thought it was helpful because what, what that doesn't mean is that people in a privileged group never suffer. Yes. Yeah, right? no, no yeah. they do not. In it's, fact, you, you could probably find, you know, Let's say a, a black guy who has suffered less than a white guy. You know, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. But this is talking about uh, power dynamics and and maybe even like like well, likelihood or frequency. Like you you may have suffered as a white man, but you probably didn't because you were a white man. Well, and it's and it's one of those things that privilege. The term privilege has gotten really twisted. Like for. For me and you, we we're privileged to be a Christian in America versus a Christian in like Iraq. Or, no, actually, I'd or, like to or, pause or there. China. And, yeah, yeah. Okay. Where you don't have the ability to have a podcast open, you don't have the ability to go and be open about your faith without problematic um, consequences. Yeah. And so, a, the privilege we're always seen as like huge power dynamic and whatnot, but it's to its core is where you have the ability to do something or experience something that someone else does not. So, so even say a minority group might have a better, be more privileged than the same minority group in a different country country or a different city. It's for me, privilege is very much of a thing where, um, 
it's the ability to do something or be something that someone else can't or they can't do. Yeah, or or as easily maybe. Yes. Um do you do you do you feel guilty for having privilege? No, and that's I, I mean there's a lot of things that you should feel there's people that say you should feel guilty for privilege. You said there's a lot of people that say that? There have been. Yes. And that's one of the things that I think is not helpful. No. But no. you say no, you don't think that. You shouldn't be guilty of your privilege. You okay. should be aware of your privilege and be aware of how you can use that to help people who don't have the same privilege as you. Okay, good. And I think that's part, part of how the Bible talks, right? Yes. God talks to these uh, uh, Old Testament leaders— or, and he doesn't say, "How dare you be in a position of power?" Yeah. In fact, he gave that to them. Yes, it's it's, it's like the um, what is it, the rich man with the um, oh, with many barns, and he has a he has a bountiful harvest. Like God gave him the harvest, but instead of going and help people, he's like, "I'm going to tear down all my old barns and build bigger and better ones, because then I will be well set for the rest of my life." And he doesn't use the abilities and the bountiful blessings that God gave him to help anyone else and just looks out for himself. And then God calls him out. He does God doesn't go and say, Hey, you were you should be ashamed that you got these blessings. He's like, You fool, you didn't use this and Yeah, why did I give it to you? Yeah. Right. That's good. And I think that's helpful because see a lot of this again, the the challenge in the conversation is I think people are well, they're just not actually having conversations, but there's people. Not everybody would agree with that. I read, you know, I read articles mm-hmm. that are really angry that people have privilege. You know, it's like, yes. and you should be ashamed, and you you should be repent, you know, repenting and uh, carrying this uh, this guilt. And and I, for me, like, I, I don't think so. It's a gift of God, but then you can be guilty of not using it the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I I think. It shouldn't be guilt that you carry with privilege. It should be awareness that you carry with your privilege. Of, and be aware of the blessings that God has given you for being who you are and where you are in this world and what position you hold. And saying, okay, I have a position of leadership. What can I do with this? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Part of what's tricky in this for me, and I, I go back and forth on this, is that even the meaning of the word privilege. Like when you said we have a privilege that the Christians in China don't have, mm-hmm. on one hand, I, I say, yes, you're right. But then on the other hand, I say that they have a privilege we don't have. You know, so I, I think that Jesus turns the idea of privilege upside down. And I think the Bible talks in both ways, and that's why it's, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's hard for me. Like, like I take the Beatitudes as the definition of privilege. Here's here you want to be blessed, happy, in a good place, privileged. It's the poor. It's the poor in spirit. It's and uh, it's being in exile. You know, I post on on Facebook, exile, a Christian privilege. It's, that's a privilege to not be part of the system, but to be exiled. And because of that, we find identity with God and look forward to our future hope. But then I also see the Bible talking to people with worldly power, mm-hmm. and and expecting them. To use that, and so and there's and there's, there's and there's a there's a large difference between having godly privilege and worldly privilege. Whereas a worldly privilege is, God gives you the privilege and the opportunity to have a worldly position of power or different abilities that the world sees as having a greater impact, saying being free from persecution, being free from getting arrested um, and things like that. Whereas a, a, got a biblical sense of, I, I guess it'd be a biblical blessing would be that you're able to suffer for Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's not, I, it's, I need to be careful not to oversimplify these things. Um, yes. Yeah. It's, it's very easy to simple, oversimplify. Everything. So I'm trying to find this post that I made, and, and uh, let me see here if I can find it. I don't know how to search my own posts. I'm, I'm not uh, Facebook literate. <clears throat> um, 
But I know what I said and why, and I can I can I can basically quote that, and while well, I keep looking for it. But I was sitting there thinking about um, uh, my wife and how much I honestly just think she's just a lovelier person than me. And this is part of what we talked about at our group last night. I asked my wife and my daughter, "Would you rather be a man?" You know, if there's so much privilege. If it's such a privilege to be a man, would you choose that? And they wouldn't. They said, no way. Well, why not? And because in totality of what it of what they understand what it means to be a man versus what it means to be a woman, they would pick the latter. They'd rather be women. Um, and so I posted something like, if you think men have privilege, then you don't understand privilege. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Because I'm thinking the things that my wife, uh, uh, like I asked my daughter last night. I said, would you rather be a man? And she says, no. I said, why not? She goes, women are better. And, of course, this is going to get very stereotypical. And there's always differences. But generally, uh, you know, I think women are more relationally intuitive, more uh, in tune to uh, relational dynamics and, you know, able to empathize. And now there's differences. There's some uh, uh, some variances, but... Um, uh, men tend to care more about objects. Women tend to care more about people. And I just think that's lovely, you know. And my daughter's in tune with that. They're aware of how when they're sad, they go to my wife first, you mm-hmm. know. And I'll ask them why, and they know why, and I know why, and I don't get offended at it. But there's a there's a relational richness there that, that, my, that women in general carry. That, and as I counsel couples over and over again, it is the woman who is seeking the attention of the man. He is interested in things, interested in television, interested in his tools, interested he's looking elsewhere, interested in his work, and she wants him to be more interested in her and interested in the kids. Again, there's some variances, but this is, boy, nine times out of ten, I can almost guess this is what's going to happen. So I look at that and go, man, that's female privilege, you know? And, and so I posted something about that, hey, you know, when you rather mm-hmm. be... You know, that's privilege. Now, what I, and I still believe all that I just said. However, what's not, what, what I haven't, um, what's not taken into consideration there is that this idea of privilege, again, is not saying that women don't have any advantages over in any category or that there aren't great advantages to being a woman. It's saying that in the power category, mm-hmm. men have the advantage. Yes. And that is 100% true. We could kick all their butts. Like if we decide, if the men just decide, you know what, enough with all this feminine, feminism stuff, we can kick their butts. And um, they are, so that's one. There's a literal physical power dynamic, which is underlying uh, to some extent why we have, then have political power. Just the, mm-hmm. the the sheer numbers of 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 power in uh, in places of authority that in that realm, which is a very consequential realm, men have the advantage. Men have the privilege. They've gotten as a whole to set the laws. I mean, frankly, women got a power to vote. How men gave it to them? Yes, men had to give it to them. Yes. Um. So. That's me just nuancing that. In one sense, mm-hmm. I just kind of had this thought and threw it out, but it's unnuanced, and it's a little Facebook post, and and I think that's when you chimed in and said, well, yeah, what about... And, and you started talking yes. more about these power dynamics, so yes. there's a little it, context. I don't know. Any thoughts as a... Well, and that's probably... Well, <laughs> my, my, my first reaction to that was the gif of the guy just kind of going, what? Because <laughs> uh, it's... With without like explaining what you mean or anything, I'm just bad on Facebook, dude. I need to be nice. <laughs> I need to stop. Uh, is it's very there's very much contextual things that you need to um, talk about when you're discussing something that has already been twisted or maligned as is w- w- without. It's like saying someone's woke or something. Like now, th- there's many versions of someone being aware of different 
issues or being someone that's just some hippie person. And it's right. Yeah. So, so, so when you, what would be the word when you really, um, oversimplify something that has yes a lot of words and meaning behind it is one of those things that yeah it's not helpful no. and i can tend to be a little troublemaker and and uh honestly that's why you know that's why i wanted to have you on here i said okay i made this post i could see why that's not the most helpful and i and i mm-hmm. i hope uh timothy's not offended so let's have a conversation and nuance some of these things and uh and because it's just more helpful, you know, it takes mm-hmm. time. Um, let me ask you, let me see how much time we got here. Like I said, I generally try to go an hour. I don't have a hard time, but nobody wants to listen to us for any longer than that. So we got 15 minutes or so. Uh, I'm a complimentarian. Do you know what that means? Yes. Tell me what that means. Um, that's where, um, at least from what I've heard of it, um, you believe that the man is supposed to be the head of the household and the women are supposed to take more of a um, helper role, I guess it would be the term. Good, yeah. And so the, the language I have developed uh, that I hope is more helpful is this. is the, We're designed for flourishing, right? So, mm-hmm. And that means relationally, economically, you know, in all the ways that, that all the different dynamics, uh, uh, community, all these things. <clears throat> the man's role is to initiate that flourishing, initiate and protect flourishing in the family. And the woman's role is to help maximize that. Like, and they both need one another. Like, if my uh, wife was not in the picture, my life would just it would just be miserable, frankly. Like, she maximizes and brings joy and a flourishing and a relational fullness there that that I don't, mm-hmm. and I bring a uh, an initiative, uh, uh, kind of protecting type role that that helps, you know, in a vision. Now the thing, not all men and women fall naturally into those tendencies and those desires, and that's where you can get into like the whole trans movement and how people identify as men or women, or we we'll do a whole another podcast on that. Uh, but yes, so generally that's the case. So that's what I know. I think is biblical and what Redeemer teaches. And I also see the the worldly wisdom in that, in the sense that um, men are going to be more prone to initiate, pioneer, and protect societies. I mean, that's historically what has happened. And mm-hmm. and women are uh, going to be they're not going to be prone that way. And so it's going to be tough uh, for them to to thrive in that way. Okay, so given that, what do you? What's your perspective on that? Are you a complementarian? No. Okay. So how can you tolerate? Now, the, how can you tolerate being at Redeemer? Um. Well, I mean, th- there's multiple things where in Redeemer that I may not fully agree with. Like Jesus is God. No, I do okay, believe good. that. Just make sure. Yes. All right, we can no. that. I know the basics here. Yes. <laughs> um. For me, I. I understand where people come with with complementarian some views. Um, we raised that way. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and initially, it so- it seems okay to a certain extent, except that there is. I personally have seen where there's many views of that people have used it to um, disregard the female voice, okay, or say. You can't speak in the church. You can't do any of that, which to me is a little strange because we expect our mothers to raise our kids in their most formative years, which is what determines who the person will be. And then when these people come of age, that we shouldn't take advice from a woman in a more of a church setting where the women the women were responsible for making us who we were in the first place sure i hear what you're saying there um let me let me ask you this the, the, what you started off when i asked you 
why why aren't you a complementarian? And a complementarian, you said your basic answer is that you've seen it abused. Yes. Okay, but but you get that's a that's a logical fallacy. That's not a reason to reject something. No. Yes, I, I understand that. Okay. Yes. Do you think the Bible teaches that? Um. There's there's a lot of different um thing because a lot of it's down to Paul's writings. Sure. Um. Well, okay. All right, let's go. So now we're going to fight, all right? To, to, to a large extent, a lot of how we do our deacons, our ministry, in our is based on Paul's writings to the churches. Okay, sure. But a lot of that is quoting. Well, so there's two things there to consider. Number one, Paul is quoting tons of Old Testament mm-hmm. when he's doing that, quoting Genesis and rooting that stuff in Genesis. But also, I mean, part of that gets down to, it's almost like saying, well, that was Paul. But is, do you believe in the unity of Scripture? Do you believe that all Scriptures God breathed? Like, did Paul really write First Timothy, or did God write it? Like, does bringing up the the sub author actually change anything? Oh yeah, you're right. That was just Paul. Or is there a unity of voice in Scripture written by God? There, so there is a unity. Um, at the same token, you have to realize that there's a lot of things where Paul is writing to a specific church at a specific time about a specific situation that they were dealing with. Um, where it's, there's a lot of things that we can draw good conclu- good theology from, but we have to be aware that this was addressing a certain situation that we probably don't have. Sure, and everybody does to, that in certain different ways. Like I would say that about head coverings. Mm-hmm. So when, when Paul says uh, women submit to your uh, husbands is uh, Christ, as the church submits to Christ and husbands love love your wife as Christ loved the church. So he's rooting these roles of men and women in the gospel itself and then even rooting it back in Genesis. God created the male and female and for this reason one shall leave his mother and cling to his... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I forget exactly how he says it, but leave and cleave type thing. That doesn't seem to you like he's rooting this in like timeless truths of gospel and creation, but it's just a contextual... Or maybe you haven't actually studied that stuff that um, thoroughly. I don't know. Not super thoroughly. Um, I have with the with the whole submit thing. There's very much of a. It's very much like privilege. The word privilege, where there's a whole um, misunderstanding of what sometimes that word means. Um, I've heard from like more really conservative Christian views where basically a wife should submit to her husband for anything that he says. She needs to do. Sure. Now that you can have a straw man. Yes. But don't do that. Like, just no, what no. does submit mean? It, well, that's, that's what I mean. There, there's, it's like privilege where there's a lot of words. It's a word that has been used in a lot of different you ways. You can abuse it, but yes. you can't let the abuse. Okay, so let me ask you this. No. Should you submit to your elders? Yes. Okay, no, but that doesn't mean if I come here and say, Timothy, let's go stab some kids. You're like, oh, I. I gotta submit to my elders. You know, no. you can find abusive no. pastors that and think that. And yes, oh, but, but uh, generally it means have a posture of, hey, this is the authority here, and we're gonna. Yes, but then there's also the verse where it says, um, uh, "Husbands honor your wives." Oh yeah, that's and, how you love them. Yeah, and, and how you lead them. And there's there's very much of a similarity between honor and submit. Okay. And in, in essence, from what I've seen, what I've study like i haven't studied a huge huge like all the greek text or anything like that sure um is that they're very much it should be word as wives submit to your husbands husbands submit your to your wives whereas you both view that they come from a place the same sort of importance and authority and that not one person's view is so much better or overpowering the other person's, and the other person should be like, "All right, I guess that's what you tell me to do." Yeah. Have you ever seen like Have you ever seen complementarianism modeled in a way that you thought was healthy? Like the things you're bringing up is like not how my home functions. Like my wife's just like, "Well, I guess those are the things you're telling me to do." Like I don't go home and tell my wife what to do. Like no, you know, she's like, "Well, I don't want to do that." I'm like, "Well, you're gonna do it." I said so and submit to me. Like it seems like. Have you ever seen? Wow, I see uh, uh, this modeled where 
the man leads, but he does so in a way that's so honoring. He cares for her. He uses his resources, which is what what Paul says is love your wives as Christ loved the church, which means use your privilege. Mm-hmm. I've given you power. See, because here's the thing. This is where it gets to. I actually do have the power. I can destroy my wife. That's inarguable. Biblically, uh, on earth, like you and I, we... It's not up to it's not a question of whether or not we should have power like we do. The men can rule this world and they do it in Islam and we've done it in in America. It's not even the question is what am I going to do with that? I do have I can go home and thrash my wife and kids. I can. But what am I going to do with that? And I think I think egalitarianism is actually blind to that. It's like no, you don't actually have power like Yes, we do, which is why you're saying we do when you say we have male privilege. So do we or don't we? We do. Now, the call from Christ is use that power. It's the whole privilege thing, to bless. Use your power to, to, like Jesus did. Jesus has power, and he looks at his bride, Mm -hmm. and he goes, oh, what am I going to do with this power? I'm going to use my resources, my energy, to help you flourish, to initiate flourishing. That's the call to a man, not to deny his manhood or power, but to not be an idiot, right? And run around the house like, oh, I said this and I said that. And it's like, what's wrong with you, moron? Um, use, recognize you do have power. Now use it in a way that's gentle, loving, makes your women and children in your care feel safe, provides places of protection and flourishing, honors, their, honors them, asks them their opinion, gives them a voice because they're freaking wiser than you in so many ways. But do you get what I'm saying? Like you, you either... It's kind of like the left. I'm not putting you in this corner, but mm-hmm. but but in one sense, if you're saying ma- there's male privilege, like, well, is there or isn't there? It not that presumed that we have a power? And how did we get that? How did no, we get and, here? And, and, and there's a difference between, I guess, from what you're saying of there being a natural power situation um, and us fully embracing that. Okay, what do you mean by that? So I guess if we're totally embracing like that we have a complementarian viewpoint where the man is the head of the house, um, it should come down to... Because from an egalitarian perspective, um, both, both the men and women should have equal point in power in when it comes to things in the church or at least that's from what I've understood of it. Sure, yeah. Yeah, that's what they would argue. Yeah, there's and, no distinction in role. And there might be some slight distinction just because of how our structure is set up, but I think as a as a church we should be pressing towards where we don't have a huge distinction of power between um, viewing the man as the person who says it all, and sure, that's it. From from what you were saying, when you're saying that um, the man should have use use the power that he has that the because of how the world is set up um, to lift his wife to a higher position and, and to honor and support her. Yeah, but not in a way that denies her femininity, which is, look, she is a woman. I can't make her a man. So if part of being a man and being male is this power dynamic, it just is. Like, I can't erase that. Like, so it's not going to be, again, I'm a complementarian. We can get in circles here, and I don't want want to necessarily do that. No, But I think it's it's helpful to kick some of these ideas around. I think there's a little bit. I I do want to challenge you a little bit because you. I think you keep saying things like, you know, it's just what the man said. Just the man says, and that's all there is. And it's like, um. So yes, we. So elders at Redeemer are men, and the preaching mm-hmm. from the pulpit is men. So and those are the most prominent uh, places of power in the church. Mm-hmm. However, it would be naive to think that women have no voice at Redeemer. Number one, um. About 40% of our leaders are women, mm-hmm. right? So Dirk and Emily lead a group together. Michael and Allie 
lead a group together. My wife leads a group with me. We have female worship leaders. They have. Mm-hmm. Now, that might not be enough for someone who's a true egalitarian, and I get that. That's fine. Yes. But it's not like they have no influence. No, In fact, and, we need them. Without them, our church would yes, be crusty. Yes. And, right? And, and for me, I, I've seen very much where there's not that, where it's very much of people have used the point where the man is ahead of the house, therefore the man, men should have all the roles in the church, except for like maybe Sunday school teachers. Right. And then there's ways that plays out in, in a relational ways. Like, again, man, this can be really, un- and I've seen this, man. And I call guys mm-hmm. out of this, like where they're just like, well, I'm in charge and she needs to listen and shut up. It's like, dude, you're a moron. Like, what's wrong with you? A healthy complementarianism makes room for that woman to maximize him. Like, like if you think my wife's voice doesn't come through in the pulpit, you're wrong. Like, she has shaped me as a human. Mm-hmm. She rebukes me. I... Um, ask her her opinion on things. I, what do you think we should do about this? Like now, again, for a true egalitarian, mm-hmm. it's not going to be enough because they're like, yeah, yeah, I hear you, buddy, but you still got the good old boys club making all the decisions, and and I get that. That makes sense. But I just want to be careful no, to know it's no, I, there's some really whack mo- things modeled out there that maybe you've seen, and like women, shut up, we don't need you, just go cook. Like although my wife does like to cook. Um, uh, but I want to be careful with that. Yeah, you know, no, it's not no, some I, caricature. I yes, yes. So, in, in all honesty, from a a healthy complementarianism view and egalitarianism, there's not a huge, I guess, a huge. Well, except in the biggest things. Yes. So let me share a little, a little bit. And we're not going to resolve these things, and that's no, fine. No, uh, my goal here isn't to. Well, I mean, health, I do like to teach, but my mm-hmm. goal here isn't to argue with you until you corner. It's actually to model to people how to how to nuance these things and how to mm-hmm. uh, uh, kick these things around and you know not burn the place down and oh. and walk away friends. So <laughs> yes, um, uh, so there's I've taught. So if you want to go listen to the uh, the Rebels Guide to Gender, that's our comp- teaching on complementarianism. I don't mean you. You can if you like, but there's you know if you if you want to learn more about what we believe about this, did a six week series uh, a couple summers ago, a couple summers ago about this. But one of the things is, all right. So our mission statement is to fight for joy. Like there is war, mm-hmm. and um, I as a complementarian, I don't think we send women to the front lines. Um, I'm not a fan. Look, if Tulsi Gabbard wants to go fight, in the, well, actually, she was a nurse in the in the war, but whatever. If a woman really wants to go in the front lines and fight, you know, and fine, I guess that's up to her. I'm not a fan of that. I don't think we should structure society that way. Like it's freaking ugly out there. Uh, you send men to the front lines, and in the spiritual war, the front lines is is the pulpit. And I'm not going to send my wife up. In fact, she doesn't even want to. Now, some women may want to, but my wife doesn't want to. When I asked her why she didn't want to be a man, she says, I don't want the responsibility. She doesn't want to get up in front of 200 people and and, and preach complementarianism. I'm going to take those bullets. I'm going to be unpopular. I'm going to be um, – so this is the interesting thing is like you can look at it as I won't allow her to talk mm-hmm. or you can look at it as, babe, I'm going to go make war and make enemies with the world and the culture and I'm going to take those bullets. Uh, and thankfully, my wife doesn't want that. You know, she's like, "Great, I don't want that. I'm, I don't want that responsibility." Which is why she would say she wouldn't want to be a man. But if, hopefully, that's just another way to look at it. It mm-hmm. isn't. I want to silence my wife. It's yes. man, this is going to be freaking ugly. And the wrong people get a hold of this podcast, and <laughs> I, you know, I could be publicly undone. Redeemer, we 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 faced. Tons of criticism at you and I, and you know, there's some other things that could go wrong that I don't want to mention because I don't want to plant ideas. But you know what? I'm going to take those bullets, and so that that to me is part of the 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 shape behind it. If 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 you really view this as war, which I I do, am I go? Am I going to send? Am I going to go out there and take the bullets, or is she? So again, that may not be the most convincing argument in the world, but maybe just a little more mm-hmm. nuance into how I view these things. I'm really. It's a protection. It's not a silencing of my wife. It's a protection of my wife and kids. And saying, all right, dudes, like, get up. Part of what I think is wrong with 
what is going wrong in Western culture is that men are being silenced and aren't standing up and protecting women, I, women and children. Masculinity is not toxic. Toxic masculinity is when men stop being masculine and use their strength to protect women and children. But they're being shamed and scared into silence, and they're and and I don't think it's good. And they need to step up and get up in the front lines and and be willing to take the blows. So, again, my motivation there isn't wife. You need to shut up, man. I can't wait to go home and be with my wife and hear how her day was and talk gospel and talk life and and find a place of rest and joy and intellectual stimulation. Like she's a freaking wonderful human being, um, but I'm not putting her on the front lines. Um, so anyway, there's another little. Mm-hmm. perspective there that, that yep. helps shape that there so um anyways we're five minutes over now um <laughs> again this isn't the we're not it's not going to revol- resolve well, a lot of things here but uh, hopefully it'll be it's interesting fodder for people and um and uh and good so and you know and for those of you out there look when, in terms of uh redeemer's doctrine for us uh a christian is someone who believes god exists he's the trinitarian god of the bible he uh came in the flesh to die for our sins we're saved by grace through faith alone that's a christian that's what we require for membership um elders are going to we have to teach the whole council of god so we need to have a fully developed doctrine of well what do we think about uh calvinism and complementarianism and uh charismatic theology and all that we gotta and so we're going to have a theology we teach we don't expect everybody at redeemer to be fully on board with all those things i think if you were highly inflamed by any of those it'd be hard to stick around you know mm-hmm. because you'd be like oh heck no you'd be personally offended all the time and uh, but just to be clear uh we don't expect everybody to have arrived at the same place on those things if um you know it's kind well, of no, like a, that would be, that'd be boring if everyone thought the same and, well then what's the point of discipleship you know yes. like you know so and it's it's just unrealistic like you know put it this way like if you get saved and you're a Christian, you believe Jesus died for your sins, well, you don't know the first thing about whether or not the Bible's true and what complementarianism means. Are we going to exclude you from fellowship? Like, no, like, this is not... So again, there's the mm-hmm. there's the, the small hand issues of the gospel. That's what we build membership on. There's this fully developed, our doctrine, which you can read online. That's what we build our eldership on, and the gap between we call discipleship and discovery and stuff like that. So any anything unresolved you want to touch base on before we go? Uh, not currently, no. Okay. Have I offended you? No. Good. Really. <laughs> so this is what I want to do, man. I want to kick around ideas, push stuff, and say, well, what do you think of that? What do you think of that? And and uh, and, and model how to do that in a way that's uh, hopefully edifying and, and encouraging and not uh, destructive and toxic because, man, it sure mm-hmm. gets ugly out there. So let's fight for joy with joy. Timothy, thank you for the time. And uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime. If I offend you on Facebook again, we'll <laughs> come on here. And make, I always make amends on post, on podcasts. That's the way I do it. And I'm just kidding. Um, so good. Thanks to all for tuning in. in your Love you. Have a good week. Commit.